Hello and welcome to another episode of Constructing Success, a sales and lifestyle podcast where I have Aaron Trahan joining me again. Aaron Trahan is the founder of Performance Mindset Coaching. I'm not going to go into all of his accolades as you can pick those up in the first episode that I did. Um, and just jumping right into it, I have a ton of topics that have been top of mind for me over the last three or four, three or four weeks since I've done a solo episode. And I can't think of anyone better to riff on these topics with me. So Aaron, welcome back to the show and thank you for joining me again. Hey, I'm glad to be back. I would say uh, long time listener, second time caller. Is that uh, the best? Best way to intro that? We we can say short time listener as long <laughs> as a listener could have been a listener and second that's time right. caller. That that's gonna work well for me. Um so to start this off, and I'm putting you on the spot. I didn't set you up for this at all, but I think <clears> it works better that way. Um since we last spoke, what would be from a highlight reel perspective, what would be your biggest win? personal, professional, life, anything, your biggest learn, something that you've learned about yourself, something that you've learned about make learn from making a mistake, and your biggest change with something that you're doing differently since the last time we spoke, if anything at all. Oh, yeah, that is a that is a great, uh, great fastball to start. So I, I, I stuck you with it right off the bat. There you yeah, go. yeah, I, I like it. I, I think I would say, you know, starting with the win is, you know, just and, and I feel like this is kind of a common theme, but it's it's learning how to stay in learning mode. Um, you know, uh, I'm coming up on the one year anniversary of launching this this business, this entrepreneurial venture. And, you know, you encounter things early on that even though you read about them, even though you, ex you know, you, you're somewhat expecting them, but when the setbacks happen, when the, when the things that you just thought you were about to close don't close and it's, it's how you kind of handle those. It's like, it, it knocks you back on your heels. It hurts. I mean, you care deeply about it. And as I'm kind of, for lack of a better term, maturing as a founder, almost a year in now, I would, I've really noticed, I would say over the past 30 to 60 days, I've really learned how to take those setbacks and adjust, adapt, and learn in lightning speed as compared to where I was, say, kind of nine or 10 months ago, where it would be, you know, kind of knock me, knock me out of the zone for kind of the rest of the day, whatever it may be. Um, so yeah, I would say even though I'm a bit more into it than I was as kind of a new brand new founder, I feel like I'm a better student today because I know how to extract what needs to be extracted out of those setbacks. Um, you know, the also, the other thing um, I would say the biggest change that, that I've made is really figuring out new ways, more effective ways to kind of use a basketball term here to create my own shots. Um, and as you're learning on how, especially around the sales aspect of it, and the sales mechanism, 
you know, figuring out how to generate your own success, how to, how to create your own shots. And so back to being a great student, I've kind of went back and, and really adopted a ton of automation that I can figure out how to scale, how to, with a one hour increment of my time, create leverage to generate the largest amount of output in the form of, you know, outreach, automated campaigns that I can now wake up in the morning and I've got two or three people that have responded wanting to set up time to talk to me. That was a massive change from what I was doing three months ago, six months ago, where it was much more referral based. It was much more inter-network based. And so the big change has, uh, has been adapting to different sales methods that do allow me to quote unquote, create my own shots. Um, the, biggest uh, low light, I think, uh, that I'll kind of pull out of there is, you know, I, I would be lying if I said just figuring out how to balance it all um, is still a big struggle. I just was talking to my wife about this just uh, yesterday. It's like, how do you, how do you fit it all in? And I think that's the big magic question that we all look for and we seek. And, you know, I've got three main jobs. I want to be great at my craft as a founder of this organization. And bring value to clients, but I also want to be the best dad that I possibly can be and the best husband. And at different times that juggling that balance of being uh, kind of having it all, so to speak, you know, has been something that as I've got more ingrained into the business, I need to sit back and say, you know what, I, I didn't strike the right counterbalance between those three and um, haven't been as present in other areas of my life that I need to. So I would say that's probably been one of the the lower lights for me over the past 30 days. Mm -hmm. And so you, I, I want to touch on, um, you said you made a change so that you mm. can create your own shot. What is that change? Or, or I guess, let me, let me ask it this way. What changes did you make? And then what's working now and why? And with what didn't work, why? Yeah, it really came down to volume and not knowing the how around creating the outreach volume that allowed me to play the conversion game. And so if you're just looking at, at knocking out 10 outreach attempts through whatever medium you, you choose, there's gonna be a conversion number on that, that you're gonna have an interested group that wants to move on to the next level that you'll have the opportunity to convert. Um, so the big change was implementing cam automated campaign systems that really allowed me to 10X that volume that have given, given me a ton more opportunities to create leverage and scalability on my time, my energy, my resources. Um, and it's been kind of a game changer for, for the business. What was the, um, from a scaling perspective, so I, I mm. think you said you were able to do 10 outreaches on your own. What, what are you able to do um, with automation? Yeah, it's went about 10x. Uh, so almost, you know, anywhere between, um, you know, on a daily, on a daily count standpoint, you know, all things factored in between on LinkedIn network email. Uh, yeah, it's somewhere between 75 and 100 now. And as I get better at targeting, as I get better at messaging, as I kind of take take the learnings from all the no's, right? And like, what could I have done better? What's working? What am I testing? How am I tracking? Uh, getting better in all those areas to increase conversion rates as I'm increasing the volume, 
um, has just been kind of the, the culmination of being that good student, kind of learning all the things to just have a more fine-tuned system this week than I had last week and have a better system next week than I'm going to have this week. Um, so it's just that that rate of continuous improvement. What uh, So what are you putting it? This this is going to be a, um, a very valuable topic for anyone that's mm-hmm. in sales, uh, me included, because I'm curious. Uh, I, I prefer, and, and I believe in scaling, I believe in automation, all, all that's great. Uh, yep. Once you fine-tuned your messaging, that that's an important piece, um, and even even the messaging messaging is important, mm-hmm. wording is important, but we don't we don't need to focus too much on that because if you're able to shine a light on a problem, if you're able to slightly scratch an itch with that automation, you know the wording is less important than the prospect or the suspect on the other end looking at it and saying like, holy shit, I don't even know Aaron, but I am Mm -hmm. dealing with this. Um, And I'll share a story about this in a moment. I just had the second best, I'm going to call it a tie for first. I just got the best cold email I've ever received. Um, Mm. And I booked a meeting, actually. I had the meeting today. So I'll I'll jump into that. But what is is your messaging consist of? And what is the sequencing like, if you feel comfortable sharing that? Yeah, it's it's really kind of starting out as asking that that big question you know where where i can do the best work is helping people accelerate the path to getting to that their next best version so for me the big qualifier that i need to identify to make sure that there's a match to even go any further is understanding is reaching your next best version or is reaching the next level a top priority to you mm-hmm. plain and simple mm-hmm. if it is And whether for a lot of people, they're going to say that it is, there's a completely different, um, there's a completely different response for those people that are ready to take action. If you're ready to take action, I want to give you immediate value right here, right now. Mm -hmm. So where I've really dialed in my messaging, where I've seen the biggest impact was, and probably one of the mistakes that I would say that I was making early on was, was holding a little bit too much back. Now I've really taken a different approach and leaned in. It's like, I'm going to give you a tool right out of the gates that can be applied immediately. You give me 30 minutes, whether we're a fit or not, you're going to walk away from this 30 minute conversation with a tool that can generate immediate results for you. If in fact, you reaching your next level is a priority. Mm -hmm. The reason why is because where everything starts for me, and I think we talked about this last time is I really start from a place of generating awareness. You can't improve or enhance anything that you're not aware of. Mm-hmm. So when we create some alignment, that awareness is a strong foundation. I'm going to give you something just with no strings attached that will help you increase that awareness. Mm-hmm. And so when we can check those two boxes with the right target audience, it's always going to generate in at least that 30 minute conversation for me to have the at bat or the opportunity to show them how I can help and whether or not that I'm a fit for them to get them to the next level. That's been a game changer for mm-hmm. me. And are you doing uh, w- with sequ- uh, sequencing there's, you know, I think, I think they say give, give, ask or give, 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 ask. Um, h- how is that looking for you? 
Yeah, okay, yeah. Actually, so, I think, sorry, sorry, I got to pause you. I'm yeah. assuming that everyone knows what we're talking about. So with so for the listener, if this yeah. is not if you're not familiar with this, with automated sequencing, we we are able to create a well thought email that will go out email. Um, it could be a text message. It could be a LinkedIn message. There's so many platforms, but that will give a thoughtful outreach. And when I'm saying give, give, ask, one of the models, and I don't know if it was, was it Gary V that came yeah. up with that? Okay, Gary V. Uh, yeah, and he also refers to it as kind of a jab, jab kind of punch. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. So it's it's an outreach where we're not asking for anything off the bat. We are providing value and through, <clears throat> excuse me, through value, we're gaining trust. So I don't know this person, but they just sent me an article or a white paper or a case study that has results that I care about or that I'm interested in or that I would like to see for myself. Something like that. And it could be a tips and tricks, a how-to guide. And when you establish that instant credibility and when you provide instant value, this isn't going to be for everybody and we're never going to be able to sell everybody. Look at, I'm not going to go down the politics road, but look at our government and the way we vote. Like we've had hundreds of years to get this together and it's still pretty split down the middle. So you will not get everybody, but for that listener, for that viewer, for that suspect that got the cold um, case study that you gave or white paper, when they find value in it, let's say it's 5% of your outreach. With automation, just like Aaron said, he went from 10, um, 10 cold outreaches today per day to 75 to 100. That is huge. And you'll need a few of those to make your year, make your week, make your month, whatever. But the give, give, ask is you give, give, and then you'll ask for some time or hope you found out value in this case study. Does it make sense for us to jump on a call to see if there's anything else I can help with? So now that I'm back off my soapbox, Aaron, take it away. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what what I want to pull out of that first and foremost is like the the big mistake that I made is like, hey, let me let me entice you in some way and and I've got value over here that that I want to show you when the new approach or, or the, the more refined approach is give, I mean, be valuable right out of the gates, mm -hmm. add value as quick and upfront. Let's not waste your time, their time. It's like, if there's value to be gained, give them the value, mm -hmm. build value from, from the day one. And I like to also kind of mix it in with a sequence of, I highly encourage you to not take my word for it. As a matter of fact, I prefer you don't. Mm -hmm. Listen to other people just like you, your same title, your same priority to reach the next level. Listen to them explain how we were able to generate better results. And so also then kind of building the credibility and valid, you know, validating kind of what it is that you do through, um, and that's, this is why I think, you know, for me, client testimonials are, are gold. Mm -hmm. um, it, it is the single biggest marketing resource that I have is because I want to be able to have the confidence to look potential targets uh, in the digital eye, so to speak, and say, I don't want you to take my word for it. I don't, I don't want to entice you through a sales presentation or a, or a clever headline. I want to give you value and I want you to validate me based on the experience that other people like you, just mm -hmm. like you, have had engaging with me. And then and only then, you wanna get on a call, see if we're a fit. Only after that, 
can we discuss how I can help? But mm -hmm. right now I'm here to share value with you, make sure that you get a high return on your time investment for spending time with me. And then we determine if it's a good fit to kind of move forward. Mm -hmm. But up front, I'm, I don't have anything to sell you right here, right now, until we kind of cross that bridge and we both determine this is going to be a valuable relationship for both of us. Yeah, that that's awesome. Ian, are you, what are you noticing as far as touches? And this is, once again, this is huge for the listener that is in the sales world. Um, how many, how many automated messages on average go out before you get a response? Um, yeah, it, it, it varies, but I would say it's certainly, I mean, anything, if they haven't responded by the third, it, it, I find it very rare that I get any, any response, you know, after that. And mm -hmm. I think the ones that respond off the first, I think you then owe it to yourself to be highly responsive to that. Yeah. If they're responding off that very first message, your question to them connected, you probably just helped scratch an itch for them, take advantage. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't, you know, then it's up to you to have the discipline, the systems in place. Don't wait two days. Don't wait three days. Get them, you know, strike while that iron's hot, get them on a call and find out what it was that resonate, resonated with them that, that motivated them to have that first quick, quick response. So I think, yeah, I mean, that that's, that's not rocket science by any means. I think we all know, you know, strike while the iron's hot. Yeah. Um, just don't, just don't get caught to where you're not doing that. Then it takes you a couple of, of follow-ups uh, more to get someone on a call because you've let a warm lead go cold. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that that's uh, strike with Aaron thought. That's huge. They're not going to be as, ex well, never say never, but typically someone who responded right away or somebody that did respond, well, it's top of mind. That is when you want to make your... I wouldn't say intro because it's coming off a an automated message, but you want to make your real intro, your genuine intro where you can get them on a phone call, where you can set up a meeting um, or just continue to pick their brain through messaging, but make it more customized at that point. So it, so it doesn't feel like a clunky AI ro robot that um, will one day be really good, but isn't so good right now. Um, well, I'm glad that you're having success with that. I'm hearing of this all the time. Yeah. Um, I'm approached by companies frequently that are asking my opinion on automated sequences and this and that. And um, I, I lightly touched on this and, and I'm going to double down here is the messaging in the automated sequence doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be long. It just has to hit. It just has to hit a soft spot. You just have to find the chink in the armor. And if yeah. you do that, or if the sequence does that, um, that is a very good opportunity when they say, holy shit, that's me, let's talk. Um, and I'm gonna share, I, I, this one I, is not a, this was not a um, automated email. Um, mm -hmm. I would be curious, I should ask her, um, I should ask her how many she sent out like that. But I received a, um, a cold email and mm. the the title was it was about the podcast so it was specific mm. to the podcast um it said like congratulations on constructing success and in the subject line this is kind of what got me really enjoyed your episode with john chapman 
That was one that came mm. out yep. at the time that she sent it. It was the last one. Mm. And so initially when I looked at it, I was like, okay, she probably, you know, she probably didn't listen to anything, but that's fine because it did the trick in that I opened the email. Right. So now I'm into the email and she goes into a little bit more detail and says, I really enjoyed it. Who knew how, um, some, something along the lines, I'm going to paraphrase, but you know, who knew how, um, who knew how involved in high tech someone could be after coming out of the military? Like I was blown away with what he's getting into. Also, I scheduled a, um, I set a reminder to listen to your upcoming episode with Ken Lundin. So now I'm like, well, she, you know, let's say she's full of shit. She did enough research, whether she read the show notes, whatever it was, she knows what just happened and she knows what's coming. So she bought another line. So now I'm reading mm -hmm. further. And this hit so perfectly for me. And she said, most of the, most of the podcast hosts that I help, which that's me now, that's me. Yep have expressed frustration, and I'm paraphrasing here, but have expressed frustration with the amount of time it takes to edit. They started it to do the show, but now they're spending more time on the editing process, and that's where I come in. Here's a list of podcasts I've worked on. Take a look and let me know if you're interested. I'm like, holy shit, that's me. Like, this is exactly what we're talking about. She didn't necessarily need to say all of the things about the prior episodes, but it bought one line at a time and it was short and it was sweet and it just hit because for me, that's something that I, that I'm concerned about editing aspect is that that's never been a, um, a portion of the business or a portion yeah. of the podcast that I've looked forward to and say like, yes, I can't wait to learn that. And I love learning new skills. I love learning new skills. I just don't care to learn this one. Maybe, maybe I'm foolish for that, but, um, that that's me taking off, but it was a really, really good cold email. And when oh, I jumped, wow. when, when I, I jumped on the call there, I had it this morning, like I booked it, I made it happen. She didn't need to send me a ton of, um, sequences or a ton of, uh, automated messages. When I had the call, she also blew me away. Like, I'm not going to use her name, but if, if you're listening to this, like you said, you would be. <laughs> kudos like she was located in sweden but she knew about the pacific northwest and pine trees and the gray weather and it felt like i mean she was able to build rapport so quickly and she did go into one of the episodes in in quite a bit of detail mm -hmm. i'm like wow this is crazy so anyway where where i would go with this is make sure whatever for the listener, make sure whatever messaging you're sending out, whether it's a cold call, whether it is a an automated message, make sure that you know the number one thing that the person you're trying to work with, help, or get in touch with would be experiencing if they need your help. And if they don't need it, and you launch out your one and two top things that would be true if they needed your help, and they don't, then more power to them. That's awesome. And move on to the next one because this is a huge world. There are people every single day taking on a new role, trying something new. And it's 
it is just, it's not like you're going to burn through all these leads. It's not like you could never reach out to everybody. So you just got to stay on it, trust in your messaging and the right person. And it sounds like this is working for you, but the right people that do need your help. You send out 75, you send out a hundred and you wake up and there's two two or three that want to talk. That's really good. That's really good. What I like about the example that you just shared is all of us, without exception, whoever is listening to this, I want you to think about the exact opposite of that example. And what I mean by that is how many times have we all got hit up on LinkedIn or or through a cold email Mm -hmm. and your initial response was, did they even look at my profile? Yeah. Are they, I mean, I literally get, got hit up on LinkedIn by someone in LinkedIn. This is where you can look at a profile picture mm-hmm. and it was targeting something for, for females. It was a female mastermind group. Mm-hmm. And it just like, did you not even look, I mean, did you not even do an ounce of targeting mm-hmm. around who, who it was you're, you're, you're kind of going after. So I think we've all experienced the opposite end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. But when you go to the place that she went to of being able to connect and personalize, I think you said it best. You kept you kept hitting that learn more button after every single sentence of like, I want to I want to see where this goes. I'm going to see where this goes. She's she's bought more attention. She's bought more interest. She's mm-hmm. she's got you in, engaged. And I think, yeah, remember those scenarios of being on the opposite end of the spectrum where we get such off the wall messages mm-hmm. that we know within two sentences, this doesn't relate to me at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and so this is, I'm going to, I'm going to look at this, uh, from both sides of the coin. So there is, it is important to do just minimal research. If you can connect on one thing, obviously that made me open more, but now I'm going to play devil's advocate here. And mm. unless, unless the downside is that you're, running out of LinkedIn email credits or whatever, whatever that downside could be where you're being maybe limited on your outreach. That that's mm. the only thing that I could see that would get in the way. But if you're able to just take a spray and pray approach, that LinkedIn message that you got for a women's mastermind group or class, that doesn't apply to you. But who knows how many went out that day and maybe it didn't even matter to check. It's like, well, if it doesn't hit or if it doesn't apply to them at all, they're not a good fit anyway. And I'm just going to keep this thing cranking. And maybe, you know, like I would recommend taking an approach more to what you're saying and more to what I received. But maybe we're both the fools and the person that's just pumping out a thousand messages per night somehow you know, maybe they're getting 10, 15 leads out of that. And it might not have been a well-crafted message. It might not have been that personal, but for the, for the woman out there or the, the female that's interested in doing a mastermind group that just opened yeah. up her message and it was, holy shit, I've been, I was just talking about this. I would love to do a female mastermind class. Yeah. There you go. So the, there's, well, and I think that's where that's where the beautiful part is. I think both things can be true, right? Because mm-hmm. there's plenty of people with this that they're they're just simply playing the law of large numbers. They're not mm-hmm. looking for high conversion. If they can just convert one percent on thousands of messages, they're fine with it. Mm-hmm. But I think if you, I think your point still holds up though that if you can go just a step further, mm-hmm. really do just a small next level evaluation of your targeting, what happens on that same quantity? If you can increase that conversion rate of 1% to 
1.75 or two, it could have a meaningful difference. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm just a firm believer that there, there is really no substitute to really kind of doing the due diligence and the homework. Mm-hmm. And, um, cause there's, there's always levels, mm-hmm. right? There's always that continuous improvement. And so I think both things can work, but if you're just completely hands off the wheel and just, you're just spraying and praying, it's just like, just imagine what that less than 1% conversion or interest rate could be if you just doubled it. What, what was it? What would it be if it was two? What would it be if it's three on the same volume? Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, uh, there's certainly different philosophies to approach it. But yeah, I, I've just always been a fan of the more sophistication you can have in the targeting there's usually not a whole lot of downside to that. I agree, and it's it's going to hit with a different uh, it's going to hit with a different target. So the yeah. the and this is very very applicable for what you're doing. <clears throat> the the high level CEO that is extremely busy shouldn't even be checking his own email. Should have an assistant sifting through it. Like in, I'm painting a picture of a a real example. This is a, something that does happen, but you know mm-hmm. that's not always going to be the case. But in that example the sophisticated personalized message that's going to make it through as opposed to the spam boilerplate just send it out to everybody i said sir or madame and you know it's like one of those things and those are getting deleted um yeah immediately immediately so um not that uh, not that this was the goal of that conversation but i i get asked (laughs) about this all the time you know cold calling or cold emailing i I 100% would say cold call over cold email, but using this example, you can you can hit such a large larger such a large target audience by using the cold mail, and if you put a little bit of time into it and make it just slightly thoughtful, even that's going to penetrate way more, and you don't have to worry about anything. It'll be it's selling while you sleep. It's reaching out all the time. So. Um, I, I, I guess I'm talking through my own, uh, maybe I need to lean into automation a little bit more. I, I, I haven't been doing it at all, at all. Yeah. So, so maybe I, uh, I'll do that. And but, but I think um, it's, I think it's, it goes hand in hand, right? So mm-hmm. the, the, the better your targeting, the more thoughtful your targeting is, I think the more that you can kind of get away with some, with some autom- automation, yeah. because your message will have that next level appeal to that broad, that broad target audience that you've you've kind of fine tuned. Mm-hmm. When there's less inputs into the targeting, I think that's where automation could probably hurt you. Is you're sending things for females to then males, and, yes. and your conversion rate takes a hit for that. So yeah, I think doing the due diligence and the homework allows you to benefit from the automate automation from strong targeting. And really dialing in who that target audience is to where a semi-general message can have the same appeal mm-hmm. for, a, for a wide audience versus not doing any of that targeting homework and saying, Here, here's a thousand accounts. I'm just going to spray it with, with this message. Mm-hmm. I think that's where, yeah. So I, I kind of feel that when you do that due diligence, you've kind of earned the right to, to incorporate some, some automation and see the results from it. Yeah. We, no, without, without question. I agree. Um, before I forget, I screwed this up. Um, so I, 
I wanted to, well, it doesn't matter. It flows how it flows. I, I need to, it's important, um, address some messages that came in. So, because yeah. this is, this is rare. I, I can't believe this is happening. So for these people that messaged me, thank you. And please keep it coming. And it is info at constructingsuccess.fm. Uh, but these, none of the questions were sales related this time. So um, Aaron, I'm going to ask you to weigh in, uh, weigh in on these with me. But two of the three, so I, I received three messages. Mm. Two were regarding public speaking. This keeps coming up. And the messaging is, <clears throat> it's, well, it's odd how consistent both messages were. But um, this apparently is a common fear, common theme or whatever for people that are petrified from public speaking. And they both on, in this instance said, you seem so confident and composed when you speak. What are you doing or how did you do this? Um, and I'll have you weigh in, but I cannot say this enough. Like if you could mm -hmm. see my face right now, I've got a crazy scowl. I didn't do anything but mess up so many times repeatedly and work, um, work up in scale from a small, maybe talking in front of one to two people to now I just this last weekend gave a, a best man speech in front of 160 people. And what is so important, and this is, this is why science and technology and data is so cool. I wouldn't have known this before. Um, my Apple Watch gave me an alert when I was sitting there getting ready. And if you were to look at me, I wasn't talking to anybody. I was nervous as shit. And, and I've done this. I've done this. I've had multiple experiences where I've successfully spoken in front of large groups, but it doesn't make it any easier leading up to it. And so looking at it from like a roller coaster perspective and knowing that when you feel those nerves and you feel uncomfortable and you're about to shit yourself or piss your pants or whatever you think is going to happen, you've got to just lock in. And it's so much easier said than done, but I don't know any other way to explain this, but to give you the step-by-step -step through what I went through before jumping on stage. So, or on stage, getting in front of this group. Mm -hmm. So per usual, my hands are clammy. Per usual, I've got butterflies in my stomach. I'm not talking to anyone because I'm so focused on what I was going to say. And I had a, I had a speech put together, but I didn't, and this is just me. I just didn't. I wanted it to come in right at five minutes and I thought that I'd be at, call it three minutes. So I was like, should I, should I say anything before? Should I say anything after? And then as speeches like this go, the longer you wait to go, everyone is taking the wind out of your sails. Everything I was going to say had been said before. So I'm like, oh man. And so back to the notification, the notification goes off and it says that I've been doing zero physical activity but my heart rate is above 120 for the last five minutes. So for the listener, and it said it was at 120. I, I've got a screenshot. I took a picture on my watch. It was at 145. That's high. I mean, it's not, that's not like sprinting high, but to be sitting there and for the listener who said that I seem like I don't get nervous, I was so nervous. And I don't know if I've said this on this show before. I know I've talked to other people about this, but I, I liken it to a bull rider. Have I talked to you about this before? Have I used this analogy? The bull riding analogy? So. Okay. 
Well, good. Then I guess I did, at least I know in one of the last nine hey, or ten episodes. So I would have definitely remembered a bull riding yeah, analogy. Yeah. yeah. So with a bull rider, you're going to be riding one of the most dangerous animals in the world that its sole purpose is to get you off and to, I mean, I don't know that it's thinking through it like this, but to seriously hurt you. And the bull rider, all they have to do, and I'm saying all they have to do, like this is nothing, but they only need to hang on for eight seconds. Now, we know this is an incredibly powerful animal, but you cinch your hand down, you strap it tight as hell, and you know, you know, sometimes the bull doesn't come out the way it should, but you're always expecting, I mean, you're in the the bullpen, for Christ's sake, and the bull's kicking and boom and you're like oh shit what's gonna happen when you get out there and you're cinched down you just have to hang on for those eight seconds and then once you pop that off you've won you haven't won you've achieved what you needed to achieve the judges will it will then go to the judges scorecard should anyone else have made it those eight seconds so just took off on a wild story as normal but when i get up in public speak I know there's going to be 30 to 45 seconds where my knees are shaking. My voice is stammering a little bit. I sound nervous. Sometimes my voice could go away. Um, sweating profusely, armpit sweat, you name it. But for whatever reason, and this is just experience, this is just going over and over again. When I'm telling you, my heart rate's going like, like crazy. The people before me said what they were going, what I was going to say. I'm kind of screwed now. The dad just killed it, gave this amazing speech. And I pop up. It was the weirdest thing. Once I had the microphone in my hand, once I said my first word, the nerves were gone. Mm-hmm. And that's just an experience thing. So I, I'm taking off on that because it was a, a listener or a viewer that was asking me about that. Um, the moral of the story here is it doesn't go away. You just learn to play well while being nervous. And when you see that first or second, I'm using this <laughs> like a sport, when you say your first or second sentence and you realize that you're still there and everything's going to be okay then it calms down. But I, I would ask you, what do you do? I know that you do some public speaking. You're in front of large groups. Um, what sort of tips, tricks, what would you recommend for someone uh, that that feels nervous or petrified or too scared to jump on stage? Yeah. Yeah, I kind of like this one because I, I, I think as with a lot of other things in life, it really comes down to perspective, right? So when you hear about that big word, fear, I'm afraid to do this, I'm afraid to do that, really, really go deeper with that. You know, what exactly, like, what if we change that label, right? So what if it's not fear to do something and it's just more of this is how, this is how your body is processing the excitement to do something. Mm -hmm. And with that perspective, I think there is no substitute for the experience reps, Mm -hmm. right? So if you let the fear or the excitement generate inaction, you will never get better at performing with those, with those feelings. And I think what you just mentioned is exactly that you've got enough of the experience reps. You simply took action to where it doesn't mean that you will avoid those physical sensations because the excitement's still there. The nerves are still there, but it's not 
preventing or altering your ability to perform with all that going on. Mm-hmm. You hear about this with performance, high performance athletes and um, you know, basketball players, football players still really, really nervous before, and they're the, they're the best in the world at what they do. And so the one challenge I would have is really stress test the perspective around, around those feelings that you have. Do you even have to label it as fear or is it just general excitement of the opportunity that you have to share your thoughts with a big group? Mm -hmm. That is exciting. It doesn't, you don't have to be afraid. There's actually nothing to be afraid of. Doesn't mean the feelings are are comfortable. It, it is an uncomfortable feeling. But yeah, I, I'm a big fan of removing the label. And what you said, once you kind of got in that flow, is something that I always like to talk about. And that is emotions always reward action. Mm-hmm. And so... The more that you use that quote unquote fear as an indicator that that's where growth is. Growth will be on the other side of that. So always having a bias for action to go towards it. Um, it it's there is just no there's no substitute for gaining that experience. And then mm-hmm. for me, when I look at the different presentations that I've given over my career, the ones where I had more difficulty controlling those emotions, I could always tie back to preparation. Mm-hmm. So just like there's no substitute for action, there's no substitute for preparation. Mm-hmm. The better you are prepared, the better you will be able to perform, not because those feelings are going are, are not there, but you're able to perform even with those feelings being there. And so mm-hmm. I think the combination of those two there are three things is change the perspective around fear to excitement, take action, keep getting the experience reps in. Um, and there's just no substitute for preparation. Don't think that you can kind of get up there and wing it and you're going to be world-class because the people who are world-class are preparing their ass off. Yeah. So you won't be able to outperform them if you're not. Yeah. So you just nailed it. Um, the, the preparation aspect, I was thinking through that right when you said it, but, but to put it into these, uh, I guess to put it into these three buckets. So changing your, changing your thought process on what you're feeling and understanding that the, you know, for lack of a better term on this, I, if you don't like this example, then whatever, but I would look at the nervousness as the the nerves before you're about to get a dopamine dump. Almost it's the nerves before you're about to get high. Mm-hmm. And if you're good at what you do and you can command a room and you can say something that you know is going to hit and they laugh and you're you're not just standing up there petrified, you're working the room, you're walking around, for me that that is a high. It is just that is one of the one of my favorite natural highs that is out there just feels good to be in control. So rewinding backwards or looking backwards, we've got the reframing your mindset as to this is the beginning of the roller coaster. If we're feeling scared right now, we're about to take off on the ride. Like this is where it gets fun. The second thing is the preparation aspect. And if you were to, when I'm saying rewind, if you were to look back or ask the question, so what is scaring you? What's the worst case scenario? Like what's giving these nerves? Well, I'd mess up. People are thinking I'm going to look stupid. I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. Prepare the shit out of it. 
If you prepare this thing, if you recite this thing in the mirror 100 times, I think that's way overkill. But do what you got to do to make yourself feel good. If you do yeah. it 100 times, there's no way you can mess it up. You know it backwards front. You could start at the middle letter of the middle word and go back for, backwards on the speech or forward, sideways, in and out. So now that we've got the preparation and you know that nothing could screw you up, there could be a hurricane going off and you're still going to stick to the script. Now, what else? What, what else could be getting in the way? And if preparations there were emotionally getting excited and we've rehearsed it in the rehearsal goes for, for the preparation, but hearing ourselves say it back, like record yourself. Mm -hmm. And when you go to make a joke, and actually this is one thing that at least for me, I, I don't try to make jokes naturally. Some funny things come out, but I wouldn't be going for the punchline if you're giving a speech. Like, keep it from the heart, keep it genuine, keep it serious. And if you're naturally a funny person, then you can get some laughs. But once you're listening to how it sounded, if there's anything that sounds off to you, change it. And when you get to where you think it is, and nothing's perfect, but when you get to where you think it sounds pretty damn good, then invite, I don't know, FaceTime your mom. That's what I did. Mm -hmm. Actually, it's funny. I've done this a million times. I FaceTime my, <laughs> I FaceTime my mom and I, re I read it through to her. And, and my mom is an honest critic, so she'll tell mm -hmm. me if it's good or bad. But then going from there, and I didn't do this because I'm not, I've, I've had so many at-bats this way. But then take it up to two or three people. Go to a restaurant and sit down and just say it in front of your server. Order a coffee and talk to them about it. What, whatever that looks like. And when you can go through it, you're prepared and you're emotionally ready to take off. Then be ready to feel uncomfortable for the first 15 to 30 seconds. And you will most likely be successful. And the next time that it comes that you have an opportunity to speak, reset everything because it's going to start over again. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I appreciate you weighing in on that. And that that's a tough one. Um, that's a tough and, one. And, and, and there's a, and there's a next level to that too, is because even when you start taking that action, it's going to be uncomfortable. And I remember early on in my career, it was so cringe to watch the video of me performing, mm -hmm. even for the, even for the speeches that went well, I was just like, Oh, I just hate to hate to see myself out there. But a mentor of mine at the time asked me when I made a comment about that, he asked me, well, how are you going to get better? And it hit me like a ton of bricks. It's like, mm -hmm. like if I can't even get over the uncomfortable feeling of watching and rewatching my presentation, how am I going to get better? How are you going to pick up on those things? Like, oh, I got a little too nervous there. My pace was off. Mm -hmm. I went too quickly. Or, man, I said a lot of ums right there. Or what, whatever it was. But yeah, I would, I would kind of do that homework even after like go back and watch it give yourself an assessment critique it and have a clear bulletized list of what specifically will you do different next time mm -hmm. and if preparation really is key you've now got a blueprint to take into your next round of preparation for your next speech on precisely how to be better next time than you were the prior time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's great. And the recording aspect, the recording is so big because I I don't like listening. I don't think anyone likes listening to themselves no. being recorded. Um, and one, this is a blessing in disguise. And this is one of the 
One of the cool things that has come out of this podcast, but I have to re-listen to everything to make sure the sound's good, pick up on any shorts or some teasers or whatever the gems are that are within the podcast. And having to listen to that, oh my goodness, I annoy myself at times. And I have to change what I'm saying because I hear it. But without that feedback, I would just keep doing what I'm doing. So as much as it sucks, as much as you don't want to hear yourself, oh my God, I hate it. Just uh, It makes me cringe when I hear my own voice. That's it. I mean, I mean, yeah, it is annoying. That's it. We're talking about you're you're asking me how and what to do so that you can get on a stage and speak in front of a public audience. If you can't get over yourself for just the cringe aspect of your voice, then you're fucked, dude. Yeah. Like that that is the the smallest obstacle to get over in your path to greatness with public speaking if you can't hear yourself. And if that is something that is just too overwhelming for you, switch careers. Don't even, don't even try it. Like just, just figure something else out. And that's why I always go back to my universal starting place is a strong foundation of awareness is always going to lead to next level growth. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not even aware of the things to improve or enhance or, or stop doing, there is, if you're not aware of it, you can't, you can't change it. You can't improve it. You no. can't. And so the lack of awareness is a surefire way to never get better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is a, this is, it's just, it's just, it always blows my mind how naturally transitions transitions can happen as I'm thinking about it, then we're going there. So the, the biggest thing that you need to focus on is the listener with anything that we talk about here could be the first speech could be your first time on a stage, whatever you have to take action. And and I had a friend send me um, an image. I think this is in times square. Um, Yeah. It looks like times square and it's a, it's a Twitter. It's a Twitter feed. I can't see who said it, but it's, it's um, downtown New York or if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And the way that it's listed in this big billboard, it says, your first workout will be bad. Your first podcast will be bad. Your first speech will be bad. Your first video will be bad. Your first anything will be bad. But you can't make your 100th without making your first. So put your ego aside and start. And it's just... We are so caught up in not looking stupid, not yes. not doing anything. You look stupid. You know who looks yeah. stupid? The person talking about what they're going to do all the time and not doing anything. I'd rather not say anything, show up and just absolutely obliterate myself publicly. That's not what I want to happen, but I'd rather be the person that took action and tried it and got up and smiled and dusted myself off after the beating and everyone in the crowd, because we all are human and we've all been there before, will support me. But when you're the fucking guy that's talking about, oh yeah, I'm going to get that started. I'm going to do this. Can't wait to do that. And it's two years later, you're a fucking loser, dude. You think <laughs> you want to talk about, you want to talk about looking stupid? Come on. So taking, taking action, that is such a big piece in when I think back on taking action and I, 
I have to say thank you to my dad for this. I, I think about what was instilled in me at a young age. And um, I remember my dad saying, I could have been 10. I was young. I could have been 10. But I remember him talking about walking. I remember him talking about letting a beautiful woman walk by me. And it could be, you know, a woman, man, whatever, for whoever out there. But he said, I, I said something along the lines of, I don't know what to say. I'm scared. What if she embarrasses me? And he looked at me, and this is just like wisdom that, you know, we, we all gain. But as a young kid, it was so eye-opening for me. And I think this is, I don't think I know this is why I've, why I've been quicker to take action on things is he said, all right, Derek. So you go talk to her and she absolutely embarrasses you. She shreds you. She says, you, you know, you little nerd. Why would you even think you could talk to me? He says, what happens then? I said, well, I'm mortified. He says, yeah, for how long? I said, I don't know. I'd be embarrassed. He said, you're probably going to be embarrassed for five minutes because you're, if she says that to you and you're walking by, you're probably never going to see her again. Now, what if you don't say anything to her and you wonder about her? How long are you going to wonder? I said, I, I don't know. And, and you know, I was really young, but he said, look at it this way. You can go through five minutes of absolute embarrassment, or you can wonder what would have happened for the rest of your life. And I would get used to being embarrassed for short amount of, amounts of time while pursuing something that you really care about, because there's nothing like regret. And this is like, it's like dropping bars on a little kid. So I, yeah. I think that's kind of... That's probably one of the biggest catalysts for me taking action is just knowing I'm going to look stupid. I'm knowing I'm going to make a mistake and knowing that it's okay to make mistakes. Even the best, you've got major league baseball players that make errors. You've got people of all sports. And speaking of getting nervous, you can watch, if you were to Google, I'm not, I don't know any names off the top of my head, but if you were to Google professional athletes throwing up on the sidelines or like in the, in uh, the dugout or whatever, there are people that just get so nervous that they have to get out. And then they're good again. So that, that's me taking off on taking action and where that, that came from. Um, yeah, but I think but, it's, yeah. it's, it's so meaningful. And, and yeah, I mean, using another sports analogy, look at tennis, right? They have an, a complete statistic dedicated to unforced errors, mm -hmm. right? And so it's just a natural, it's just a natural part of any growth. Mm -hmm. um, and the one thing that frustrates me when we bring back up fear or fear of failure is that it's almost like we've been trained or programmed without having that type of wisdom, you know, brought down on us at an early age. But mm -hmm. you, you, you look at a common upbringing and we're told to shy away from fear, shy away from failure. We try to win all the time. And, you know, fear does not have to be the opposite of success. And I think that's, that is a point that needs to keep being driven home because the foundational rule is that failure is an absolute part of success. Mm -hmm. So if you're afraid, if you're afraid or have that fear of failure and you don't do something because you want to be successful, you're actually preventing the, the success that you're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. And I love the I love the tweet that you shared because yeah everybody starts at zero yeah. right like 
mastery, you're not born with mastery around a certain skill. Like we all started as amateurs. We all sucked at something that we're now good at. Mm -hmm. um, and it even kind of goes back to what, what sits underneath that fear of public speaking. What it really is, once all the smoke clears, is we're afraid to suck at something. Yeah. We don't like it. Yeah. We're afraid to suck. But you look at everybody who's great at anything in a particular domain or area, they just stayed consistent. Mm -hmm. They kept showing up. They were, they were able to suck at something for an extended period of time mm -hmm. that then eventually turned into a skill, turned into mastery, and they turned into, you know, best in class. But it doesn't happen without the suck first. Right. And so if we're afraid to suck at something and it's creating an action, we can't have the expectation that success will ever come. Mm -hmm. It's part of the inevitable journey. And mm -hmm. to, to add to that, when... So working with sales teams, this is not necessarily the public speaking aspect, but when working with sales teams, um, sometimes all have, not just sometimes, often, all have someone that is trying something new in front of a group. And I can see when they're getting flustered. I can see when they're starting to get nervous. And what I notice is they rush. And it's a rush of maybe let me get this over with. I just want to be um, out of the spotlight. I don't know what I'm doing. So let me just rush to the end to get this over with. And where I found the most success is I just pause them. Like we're not, we're not jumping out of this role play. We're not jumping out of the scenario. But, you know, if I was talking to you, I'd, I'd just say, hold on, Aaron, just stop. Okay. We're not in a rush here. This isn't a real cold call. If it was a real cold call, I'd still tell you to stop and think. If they hang up, we're, we're okay. We're going to move on to the next one. But I want you to breathe. And I want you to think about what would be a logical next step. And if you have no idea, how could you keep this conversation going? Just being conversational. And when they realize that there's not like a shot clock going, and they realize this is real life, and real life is happening second by second by second, and each second is a new opportunity each second is a new refresh. Like, sure, we refreshed in the middle of this call, but let's get it right this time because when you start the next call, you're going to be better. So I don't even know how I got on that. But uh, <laughs> anyway, it's just, it's just the importance of slowing down. It's the importance of realizing, even if you were, you know, if you were on a stage and you were working with someone and you were really embarrassed and they slowed you down, they said, okay, here's what you're going to say next. I'm going to talk through this with you. Hello, everybody. It's nice to see you tonight. Hello, everybody. It's nice to see you tonight. Like breaking it down to sentence by sentence, word by word. When that happens and the erratic emotions of nerves settles down, then they can recommand the room and it's just having a conversation. So, yeah, take, take I don't know if you have anything more on that, but I, I just took that a little a little further than anticipated. No, I love it. We had all kinds of derivative uh, applications to it. And I mean, look, the lesson holds true and it's applicable across so many other things is, you know, there is no substitute for taking action. Yeah. If you want to get better, if you want to experience the success, the single best thing you can do is get in the experience reps and learn and mm -hmm. keep being better and not letting 
the fear of failure or the fear of sucking create inaction. Mm -hmm. That's always going to show up as future regret. Mm -hmm. And it it can be simple things. And I, I I feel as though, God, I always say these, these funny things. I didn't feel, I know that we get caught up in the big things, but if you look at the person who's concerned about taking action on something big or what they consider big, if you were to dissect the rest of their life, they're not taking action in other places either. And it could be as simple as, and maybe I'll do this shit. Maybe I'll do this just to give you an example. But if I were to sign up for a salsa dancing class twice a week, and I were to go to, if I were to go on a vacation, let's say it's eight weeks from now, and it just happens to be we end up at a salsa dancing club. Everyone around me, all my friends would be like, how the hell do you know how to do this? You look like a pro. It would be the difference of going 16 times. Mm-hmm. And those 16 times compared to someone who's never even tried it before, I'm going to look like a master. And I don't even have to be that good. I'm just that much better than them. And it could be, I have a buddy who started taking golf lessons. You know, I've never taken a golf lesson. I don't care about golf that much, but you can bet your ass if you're working with a professional once a week that you're going to be significantly better than someone who isn't. So whatever it is that you want to do, whatever it is that you want to get better at. And and I should take a moment here. Just because I didn't do public speaking uh, courses, go do a Toastmasters class. Do that. Whatever you can do. Become desensitized to it and you will have the nerves, but become desensitized to it. And it won't be that, that big of a deal. Um, but there, there was a, a question that, uh, that I wanted to ask you. I've been thinking about this a little bit and, mm-hmm. and when we look at life and we look at life as our story, we're all, we're all the main characters in our own story. Mm-hmm. What would this chapter be for you? And what does it represent as far as a lesson or a, yeah, I would say a lesson for steering the later chapters in life as you're living this chapter out. Yeah, that's a, that's a great one. Um, And what I like about the question is it ties back so cleanly to that ramble we just kind of went on and this is a point in my life where I'm not overly focused on the outcome as much as I am on the process. Mm -hmm. This is a point in my life where I'm kind of practicing what I preach. I know there could be much more desirable outcomes in the future, but I am fully embraced in going through the suck right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I can look at that, through the lens over the arc of my life and how I can kind of look at this chapter is this is going to be what I refer to as a regret minimization period of my life where I'm going out there. I've kind of left the safety of a, you know, corporate executive role that that's the only thing I've ever known since I was 18 years old. I've launched this, entrepreneurial venture with two young kids I'm you know coming coming up on 40 years old so it's at the point in time with a lot of other people's life where they try to find that 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 cruise control right it's like now now we're not going to rock the boat but for me not doing this 
without a shadow of a doubt, would have been that thing that sat so heavy on me as a 70-year-old, 75-year-old, 80-year-old, when I was out of time, out of energy, out of youth, of looking back and saying, I can't believe I didn't do that. I let all the the fears, I let all the the, the resistance create inaction, and I played it too safe. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I blended into the external environment. So for me, um, yeah, it's it's one of those one of those chapters and big pivots where I'm not going to I'm not going to have this hanging over my head as regretting not taking action. Um, and then once you're, once you're in it, once you're taking action, once you're go, you're, you're, you're taking all the medicine, you're, you're the student, you're learning everything on a day over day basis. Um, I've never had this feeling in any other role that I've ever had. It's almost that burn the boats moments when you can Mm -hmm. wake up every single day and say, my why is strong enough to where I'm always going to figure out how Mm -hmm. don't know, don't know what it looks like. But I'm going to do what it takes to figure out how to connect these dots, how to make this viable, how to make it scalable. Um, and it's on on my own terms. So for me, it's all about regret minimization. I'm going to make lots of mistakes. I'm going to fail along the way. There's going to be tons of setbacks. Um, but there's just no greater growth opportunity, just like what we were talking about before, than by taking action. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's what... That's what kind of defines this chapter, this moment that I'm in right now. I like that. I like that. I, um, so for when, when I'm thinking about this, this chapter, this chapter question, this is, uh, every chapter serves a purpose and Mm -hmm. every chapter serves, um, who knows? My book is not done. My, my personal storybook is not done yet. But I think that every chapter can serve as every every chapter. I'm, I'm really thinking through this before I say it. I wanted to say this will be a pivotal chapter. They're all pivotal. Um, mm-hmm. And some chapters are better than others, but I think that they're all the same intensity, if you will. Mm-hmm. It could be a slow, boring chapter. And it was intensely slow and boring. It could be fast and exciting. And it was intense and you didn't realize how much time went by. Um, I would say for my chapter right now, it's been a bit comical, I think. Um, and, and when I say comical, I have never been, I've never been better. And in, in one could argue like, well, of course, you're going to continue getting better until, you know, you're in your elderly stages. But mm-hmm. I've never been better, stronger in my craft, more confident, more focused, more disciplined. My discipline right now is so fucking out of control. Like I would there's no no question in my mind that I would have gotten drafted. I mean, maybe not made it like to the major leagues. If I was dialed the way I'm dialed right now, I would have been drafted in some way. Like my distractions, I'm able to limit. Um, just everything, my knowledge base, the amount I'm learning, the amount I'm reading, the amount of people that are now coming to me, asking me questions of all mm-hmm. ages. I, I have no idea where to go here. Derek, what would you do? 
And why I say it's comical is knowing all of this and experiencing all of this and feeling more confident than ever. I'm not on a yacht in the Mediterranean. That's for damn sure. And it's been a humbling experience. Um, And not, not like, not frustrating. I'm not frustrated. I just am sitting here wondering and it'll all come in its own time. But, you know, I'm I'm dating someone and I I was explaining to them, I'm like, for how, for how much you see me working, I used to make a lot more doing a lot less. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, I, I, the lesson is coming every day and this is patience and this is, you know, we, we were talking about Alex Ramosi earlier, which I've got to give, mm-hmm. give my little shout out because I did not like him at all. And now I think he's amazing. And yeah, so thank you, Alex, if you ever hear this. But he had put something, <laughs> he had put out a tweet that said, whenever I get to a low point where I think, why do I even bother? I just try to remind myself, this is where most people stop and this is why they don't win. And I'm not, I haven't even gotten to a low point. I'm just, fuck, man, <laughs> for, for yeah. how much I am putting in, for how much focus, for how much attention I'm giving to my clients, everything. When this pops, when this goes, you know, I, like almost like a, like a Pringles can, once, once you pop the fun, don't stop. I am just waiting for this to blow open. And it, it yeah. I know it's going to happen, but not, not even, but I know it's going to happen. Yeah, I'm just checking my fucking clock a lot more now. Like, come on, you know, where, where is yeah. this at? Um, so, yeah, that that's I guess that's what I would say about this chapter is I've, I've overcome most of the things that make me nervous or scared or uncomfortable. Um, I feel sharper, stronger, more composed than ever. You know, it used to be a situation where. I remember doing product knowledge meetings and being nervous of talking in front of two people. Um, mm-hmm. And now I feel confident going into a business and talking to their CEO and, um, you know, looking into it, understanding it better, but being able to make significant changes and, and speak with a speak from a position of authority of this is why this needs to happen. But it's just, I go back to the comical thing. It's like, I've got all these things going and I just, I'm not in a rap video yet. That, that's what I'll say. You know, I'm still, I'm still, still really digging deep and driving hard for yeah. um, well, whatever let's, it let's, is. Let's play with that for a second. And I'm curious to, I'm curious to ask how much of do you think that that feeling that you're having is more of societal wiring around maybe not instant gratification but more short-term gratification, right? It's like I'm putting in this work, I'm expecting a return to come fairly quickly. Um, when, what do you think would happen if you changed changed how you're scoring on the scoreboard? What if it was, what if it was only purely about the process and you getting better day over day and that was the scoreboard versus some other type of, monetary end result and or kind of the the final outcome what if you just remove the outcome off the table and it was only about the journey and the process do you think that do you think that would still be there that's a good question so i've thought about it this way 
And the process, <clears throat> that that aspect of this journey is is 10 out of 10. Mm -hmm. uh, it is nearly impossible for me to block out it's nearly impossible for me to block out the amount of demand or request for my expertise compared to what it was called four years ago. Mm. And it's impossible for me to, well enjoying the process and well loving that I've learned enough that people come to me and say like, how would you do this? What would you do? It is nearly impossible for me to disregard the income from four years ago to now. Mm -hmm. I am probably 10X now. I'm 10X version of who I was then. And I wasn't working as hard as I am now. Yeah. And this, it doesn't even have to be 10X what I was making then. It just, it is, it's a little bit, uh, I mean, this is, this is, the, this is the process. Yep. And if everything was easy, and if I was in a rap video in the Mediterranean throwing money off the back of a off of a yacht, you know, or whatever, um, if it came easy, I wouldn't have appreciated it, and I wouldn't have had to work so hard. But I do. I just I'm looking into the amount of like, and this is good, and this is you no. Know, we've talked about this. It's yep. most people won't get it, but I I feel um, sometimes I sometimes I. Sometimes I wonder, am I pushing the wheel too hard? Um, yeah. and, and not from a perspective like I'm going to break, I'm not going to break. But should I maybe, instead of putting 100% of energy into getting, if we're going to talk about this like it's a merry-go-round and it takes a certain amount of strength to get it going, can I just use 20% of my strength and keep it going at that slow pace that slowly gets faster? Because it feels like I'm going 100 in and it's still only going to incrementally grow. And, you know, they talk to people on their deathbed all the time and they say, what would you change? And they all said, I, w I wish I wouldn't have taken myself so seriously. I wish yeah. I wouldn't have worked so hard. All that shit didn't matter. And I, that reflects on me. Like the Mariners are doing well right now. The Mariners are in first place. They're amazing. And I feel bad. My mom's talking to me about it. And I'm like, I can't even, can't even focus on this right now. I'm so, mm -hmm. I'm so dedicated to making sure that my clients get the best of me. Um, I've got to read more. I have to study more. I have to be prepared more. Um, so as I'm saying this, there's no fucking way that this is going to take off. But like father time or mother time, whatever it is, like I'm waiting. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's just, yeah, it, it, this is um, on, on the process aspect and the delayed gratification portion of this. I am so set on the delayed and it's kind of like, I'm wondering like, do I need to incorporate a little more instant? Yeah. Because by not doing the instant, I feel like I'm not, um, I'm not as present with the people that I care about and love and the relationships that, that do matter. Um, and I'm, I'm proud of myself for a few things. Like I, anybody that texts me right now, I've said, I am not, doing anything that isn't pre-planned, pre-selected, pre-paid for until mm -hmm. basically Halloween, yeah. um, which, which I'm proud of myself for putting my foot down. But it's just like, yeah, I don't know. I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm wondering. And, and I, think, I think too, it's important to look at the different levels of mm -hmm. gratification, right? Sure, financial is, is one that's near and dear to all of our hearts. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's make no mistake about it. Our 
capitalistic tendencies are, are alive and well. We want to make good money. Mm -hmm. But I think you dropped some good examples in there where I think you probably are seeing different variations of more instant and short-term gratification that may just not be showing up on the scoreboard. Mm -hmm. And you talked about you're just on a, you're on a level right now you've never been on, mm -hmm. right? Sure, you put in sure you had to put in a lot of work to get there, but your your focus, your discipline, your you know ability to say no to things, your ability to keep showing up, and then you you look at how your your environment is responding to that. Mm -hmm. You're now being viewed as as turning into a bit of a different animal. People are are coming to you for that advice that at a frequency that's never happened before. And so while that's not showing up financially, it's just a different form of gratification that's just showing up maybe a few stages, a few phases before the financial. Um, but yeah, I, I think that what, what you're saying, it's, it's all about that ability to keep, to keep, to stay in the game as long as possible. Mm -hmm. And the ones that stay in the game, the, the longest are the ones that inevitably win. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to be clear. It's not, <clears throat> it's not, I'm not in financial trouble that that's not yeah. what it is. It's just when I think back to some of the jobs that I've had and how, I mean, I can't even believe looking back now, I can't believe they paid me what they paid me. Mm. I didn't know a fucking thing. And, 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 you know, that, that's more of a, I don't want to say I didn't know anything, but it's more of a testament of, they must have been paying me because I was committed and I would do what I would set, said that I would do. But I didn't have even a quarter of the knowledge that I have now. And it's just, yeah, I'm like, yeah. Anyway, yeah, it, it, it is coming. I'm not in any bad situation, but they're just, and, and you hear, I'm sure you hear this. I talked to some guys that told me what they're making. And I look at them, I think like, you're making what? Because I'm the one teaching you. And I think you should, you, you're not that good. You know, I'm like, how is this happening? But yeah. it'll, 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 it'll pay off. Oh, yeah. Um, so that, that brings me to a, um, a Jay, Shet a Jay Shetty post. And I love Jay mm -hmm. Shetty. I know you're a huge fan. Um, God, this is good. This is just segueing perfectly into everything. So this was an Instagram post and this is me to a T it's probably all of us, but you're constantly worrying about the next part of your life without realizing that you're right in the middle of what you used to look forward to. And it couldn't be any more true, but somehow just like the human mind, I'm always, you know, what's next this, and I'm not enjoying the present enough. I, I don't know how you feel about that, but that when I saw that it stopped me in my tracks, I had to, I had to screenshot it. And I had to put it down yeah. that this is something I wanted to yeah. talk about. No, it's, it's, yeah, I think it's, um, there's, there's two different, uh, sub mindsets that I've been kind of learning about. And one is the gap mindset where we're looking out and we're constantly focused and absorbed on the gap around where we are today versus where we want to be. Mm-hmm. And that's like kind of the, that's like being on the hamster wheel, right? We'll, we'll always want to be, I mean, it, it's part of our, it's part of our wiring and it's part of, quite frankly, it's the curse of a high performer is because we're always looking to find out what our next best level is, what, 
our most full potential is, what we're truly capable of. So that kind of describes the gap mindset. We're always focused on the gap around where we are today versus where we want to be. But on the other side of that, there's the gain mindset, where if we start looking backwards and whether it was you know you or I looking back at where we were a year ago, two years ago, we are so much better as leaders, professionals, executives on being able to just produce. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's good to kind of put it in that framing because it, it can always induce those negative emotions when we're in the gap mindset of always focusing on where we're not where we want to be. But if you look at the gain mindset around look where we've come, look at how different, how better, how much more enhanced and optimized I am today versus where I was six months ago, 12 months ago, or where I envisioned being, you know, three years ago, mm -hmm. I think can completely change the entire, you know, mental narrative that, that we have. Cause it's just, it's, as we, as we talked about earlier, it really comes down to the perspective and the lens at which you're kind of looking at the situation through and what story you wanted to tell back to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, that, that is uh, that is solid counsel. I, I need to take, uh, I need to be better about that. And, and I know what you're saying. Yeah. Looking back three months, six months, nine months, 12, um, the, the improvement is staggering, um, mm -hmm. but you can get so caught up in the moment that you forget to, Forget to look back as to where you came from, who you were when you set off on this journey, how you changed from then, how proud of yourself you would be if you were able to talk to Aaron a year ago, or if I were able <clears throat> to talk to Derek a year ago, you know, I'd be like, dude, yeah, it's funny. I, and, and I do this for other people. I don't know why I don't mm -hmm. do this enough for myself. And I, I think I do, but yeah, if I was talking to, 35 and a half year old Derek that was setting out on this, I'd be like, dude, can you fucking believe you just did one, two, three, and four? And wasn't that so cool at X, Y, Z? I'm so yeah. proud of you. I can't believe you've done that. I can't wait for the experience. Um, so good. This is, I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad we talked through this. That's, no, that, and, that's and, a good and way that's, to look at things. That, thinking about those two views, those two perspectives. I mean, look, I'm, I'm facing the exact same things. I kind of look back at, where I was at certain levels in my career from an earning standpoint. And that was, that was kind of the thing that I was chasing. It was my most important personal KPI. It's kind of how I valued my own, um, my own worth. But then as you kind of evolve and kind of think about, well, what are the other statistics that I'm kind of measuring success by? What is, what is my, what is my holistic definition of success? And, we will always be able to look at where we want to be or where we think we should be two years from now, five years from now. And all that does is take away from the focus and the pride that we have to really look at, look at those big fucking leaps we just made over the past year, mm -hmm. you know, look the past two years. And um, yeah, that, you know, it's why social media can be such a, such a black hole, right? Yeah. It's because it's it, it only it, it is by design through algorithms meant to keep us in the gap mindset of aspiring to be something something else, aspiring to go to a different place. And while there's a need for that, it 
shouldn't outweigh kind of the the acknowledgement of of the process mm -hmm. of the journey of looking at where where we've made those leaps no matter big or small from month over month week over week year over year um you know that's that executed with consistency the other metrics will always take care of itself mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in and using that when we're thinking about the thinking about where we started to where we're at we're thinking about tough times or quiet times or whatever times what are you doing for positive self-talk if, mm. if you're doing anything i'm putting you on the spot again but how, how do you deal with that yeah you know it's really been adopting this this concept that we were just talking about you know i i found myself let me back up i mm -hmm. found it alarmingly easy to get sucked into the gap mindset mm -hmm. of trying to get to a place, a number, a metric, a financial positioning so quickly. Mm -hmm. And if we're not careful, it's like water. It'll find the path of least resistance. And that is just a very easy path for mm -hmm. us to kind of go down and it's all consuming. It's easy for, for that to consume our thoughts. But, you know, for me personally, when I kind of stay present and say, what's, what's my end goal? And I kind of, I kind of really like to look at this in, in three big questions. One, how am I defining success for myself? Number two, what does happiness look like for me? And number three, are those two things aligned or are they in conflict with one another? Mm -hmm. And so as long as I'm making progress towards that holistic success and happiness definition, and I'm not sacrificing too much of one to achieve the other, um, it makes it so much easier for me to really look at the gain mindset and say, look at, look at what I'm doing now that I wasn't even doing last month. Mm -hmm. Look at where I'm at today, where I wasn't last year. And, and I kind of like to look back and say, look how stupid I was, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and I think that's okay because when you can acknowledge how stupid you were and the things you were doing last year or two years ago, that's nothing but an indicator of growth, mm -hmm. right? So when we can kind of focus, or for me, when I can focus there, it just adds all the perspective that takes that edge off of me feeling less than to myself mm -hmm. of not being where, you know, that that gap mindset tells me I should be. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah, no, no, that makes, that makes perfect sense. And that actually, when you're looking at the, <clears throat> when you're looking at the gap and you're able to say, because I, I want to make a distinction here. When you're able to look at yourself and say, man, I can't believe how stupid I was. That's very different from saying I'm such an idiot. Yeah. Okay. Because for, for the listener, this is a huge difference. We're talking about one word here, one or two yeah. words here. Look how stupid I was versus look how stupid I am. And it, it that, um, you know, when you look at, I don't remember if it's, there's a, there's a story or there's an example of if you were to fly, if you were to leave on a plane um, from Seattle, and if you were to fly to New York, if you were to make a one degree right turn, one degree, I think you end up in Atlanta. Huge difference. Could be Miami, but let's just say Atlanta. Um, 
that little bit of I'm so stupid, I'm such an idiot. Well, I fucked up again. I'm clumsy. I'm always doing this shit. I'm such a fool. That cannot happen. Mm-hmm. Addressing, wow, I can't believe how foolish I was then. I'm glad that I figured this out now, or I'm glad that I'm figuring it out. And I probably in a year from now will think back and say, wow, I'm so glad I figured this out, or I'm figuring it out. I was such a fool then. Very, very distinct difference. Um, but, Massive difference. Yeah. But in, and that's almost in a way, it's a, um, it's a, a humbling form of self talk. Because you're acknowledging that you don't know anything, everything, that you didn't know everything, but you're learning. Uh, so I, I like I like the way you're framing that. Uh, and it's also also kind of a good good internal source of fuel, right? <laughs> and so it's a for me it brings front and center with crystal clarity that if I keep this up, if I keep making these 1% tweaks in the right direction versus the wrong direction, where am I going to be a year from now? Mm -hmm. What does that look like? Mm -hmm. Holy shit. What if I keep doing this for another two years? Yeah. Like this is where I get to take, this is where I get to take advantage of what Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger say as the greatest invention known to mankind. And that's compound interest. Mm -hmm. That doesn't only work in capital markets. It works for our own internal market too. Mm Mm-hmm. And so when you can really use that as the priority focus of saying, wow, look how stupid I was and look how much better I am today. Let's, let's put some compound interest on that. Mm-hmm. What if that happens again this next year? And then again, and then again, it's going to be virtually fucking impossible for me to not be great and way more financially successful than I even want to be right now. Mm-hmm. It, it, well, that, uh, that's, I'm, I'm glad you said that because the <clears throat> the compounding interest aspect, you can't lose when the compounding interest is your self-investment. You could lose everything in the market. Your bank account could be wiped out. Cash could no longer be a thing. Money could no longer be a thing. I mean, we can go down some apocalypse avenues here, but investing in yourself, that cannot be taken away that you might have a struggle but you're never really going to have a downward dip as long as you're right. always working so that yeah that that's huge um huh what would what was on my oh i, I know what i was gonna mention this is this is a little off topic but this is just um a self-realization for me um mm-hmm. in, in overall i i i tend to keep things um pretty positive uh, but this mm-hmm. is just one of those those moments i've got two two little stories about this um i had i was in a hotel i had been flown to go speak to a group and i it was three hours ahead of time didn't sleep that well had some personal stuff going on and i remember getting up early that morning which early that morning on the east coast that makes it even earlier for me uh based yeah. on my pacific time and didn't sleep well in the hotel, not the greatest food. It was this weird spin up because I really don't do this, but this weird spin up of just like compounding negative things, if you will. And I remember thinking like, oh, I got to get out of here. Can't believe this is going on back at home. I got to get through the speech, blah, 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 blah. And so to feel better, if, if there's ever a gym, if I can get a workout in, it just naturally yeah. I feel better, get, get a good right. sweat going. Um but I felt like such an asshole. So I'm going through this shit and I'm lifting weights and I'm you know getting up 
pretty intense workout in. And I looked over at the window and there was an army veteran that was a paraplegic watching me work out. Mm. And I'm like, dude, (laughs) I've got everything going for me. And the most important is the ability to control what I can control. And that, dude, that just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, you know, just such a quick reminder, but just like how... How dare you get so spun up on some petty shit when you are the luckiest person in the world? Uh, I think I'm just talking about that out loud because that was something that uh, that it didn't fuck with me. It just was a good it was a good reminder. And another thing, you know, it's another thing I think that um, that was really instilled in me from a young age with taking action was my dad always said, like, well, think about what if you were like this? What would you do if that happened? So I was always um, not looking for a, a worst case scenario, but just very fortunate as to how bad things could be. And people that are in these bad situations, they're making it, they're making it work. Uh, yeah. So. Some perspective, perspective is everything, right? Yeah. And then, I mean, just, you turn on the local news, you turn on the national news. Like it, it's, we are geared to so easily get worked up over the negative. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, depending on who you talk to, some of the science, quote unquote, says that it's typically three times more difficult to be positive than it is to be negative. So if we just maintain a default state, there's that that negative emotion can be triggered by a lot of different things mm-hmm. or a lot of small things. And, and it would be easy to kind of get sucked into that. But you're right, staying focused with the right perspective, being able to zoom out and say, yeah, but what's the positive in this situation? Mm -hmm. What, how much worse could it be? Right. And it's just, it's just that small shift of putting in that extra effort, the two X, three X, whatever the number is, Mm -hmm. putting in that extra effort to shift the perspective towards a positive outlook versus the default where we tend to go when things just don't fall our way, things don't go our way, can kind of drift into the negative mindset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that's a conversation <clears throat> might come better for you, from you. Um, should probably connect you with my mom <laughs> on, <laughs> on that with, with, the negative, with the negative inputs. Uh, gosh, yeah, she, uh, well, I, you know, I, I think that it might be an age thing. I, I don't know. I just, I noticed that it seems like most parents around my mom's age are very caught up in political news. Like that just yeah. seems to be like the thing that's, that's the Instagram of the 65 to 75 year old uh, era right now, yeah. if you will. That's like the, did you see this? Did you see that? This is what I'm so um, yeah, maybe I'll have you do that. And then when you were talking about this earlier, I, I don't want to forget this we're talking about the the algorithm that's supposed to let you see the gap and i I, the focal point i want to make is the algorithm is there to perfectly make you see your gap everyone's got a different gap and this software is you know when, when at least for me when we talk about ai and it's like well how good could it be or what about this what about that let's talk about algorithms algorithms know me so well it's sickening 
Like, mm-hmm. like it takes maybe, let's say three days if you're really doing something, whether it's TikTok, Instagram, starting a new account for it to know you better than you know yourself. Something pops up, you're like, I didn't even know I needed that. So mm-hmm. that, yeah, the the algorithms out there, you know, in, in when you Google search too, like everybody, if you and I search, maybe ours would be similar, but if I search something on Google, the same wording, and it went to someone in... Fort Lauderdale, Florida, they may get different results, not location results, but based on their search history. And that's a really scary thing too, because we look to the internet for facts. We look to Google for facts and it's facts based on what we already believe in somewhat. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like based on, based on the clickbait we've gone after, based on what we've typed in, based off our Netflix movie history. It just, yeah, it's uh I, I'm when not said, scared like in a bad way, but it's it's scary. No, but you, you said something about the gap there that I think is worth kind of a double click on. And it we have to acknowledge that the gap by design is meant to be elusive. Mm-hmm. It is not a static thing. So as we sit here today on whatever today's date is, and we look at the we look forward and understand what the gap is. Well, back to that 1% continuous improvement. Well, if we close that gap between now and the next 12 months, guess what's gonna show up 12 months from now? Another gap, mm-hmm. and then another gap, and then another gap. And you know, it's, it's, that's why it's so important to really have the perspective that it's not all about closing the gap as much of it is appreciating the gain and knowing why we're chasing what we're chasing. Why is that important to us? Because I can assure you, I've unfortunately had to live this. And when you're chasing after things you don't really need or don't really want, you'll never have enough. Mm-hmm. Reach, you know, you reach 10 million. Guess what? You're now, your gap is now chasing after people with a hundred million. Yeah. You get to a hundred million, your new gaps chasing after the billion and you reach a billion. You're now targeting Bezos to, to try and beat him. So yeah. the gap never goes away. It all depends on how you apply focus and attention to it versus kind of what really matters. And that's the appreciation of the game, the process, the journey. Mm -hmm. Well, so now to triple down on the gap, um, I was talking to, I was talking to someone last week about this and when, you know, whatever goal we set, there's two things that mess up the goal. So whatever goal we set, once we get there, it's never enough. And the other thing that changes the goal is we live in a society with inflation. So whatever your goal is or was, let's say you wanted to make 50K. Let's just say that's the number. 50K 20 years ago out of college was really, really good. 50K out of college now is like maybe on the lower end of the scale of what yeah. someone would take like like the like the very the very low end and we were talking about i remember i, I have a buddy you've probably met him at some point but he lives in japan now his name's nalia and uh, we i think we were 18 or 19 and we were looking for some christmas work just just some like i think we were home for the summer looking for some part-time work so we looked at ups and we mm. noticed that if you were a full-time UPS employee, 
so 19 or 18, this is like 2006, that you can make 70,000 a year. And I remember looking at that, we were both like, what? Holy shit, we don't even know, we don't even need to go back to college. 70 grand, oh my God. UPS just announced that their minimum wage for a full-time driver is 170. Yeah. 170. So whatever goal you set, that number is gonna get crushed just by time. Mm-hmm. And it's never enough. And what 70 would have got us then, which I would have cut my foot off for 70 then. Now I wouldn't move for it. You know, like it just, it just is, it's crazy. Yeah. And the perception of it and everything gets more expensive. And I'm going to go off on one here, but isn't it weird? Like I'm, I'm to the age now where I just noticed, and I probably noticed this five years ago, but it's always the biggest MLB contract in the history of MLB. It's always yeah. because every year there's more money. It's not like, you know, the, the $10 million offer 40 years ago really was that great. We don't take into consideration the inflation on it. Now it's a, you know, now it's a $250 million offer over how much time. And we think, wow, this is incredible, but it's the same shit. We're just yeah. getting, we're, NFL we're just getting players, caught up in it. NFL players in the 60s had to have part-time jobs in the off season. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy stuff. Um, so there's two other things that I wanted to touch on. This is just, you know, this is more like things that were popping into my, if you, yeah, if you yeah, have yeah. anything that you've been kicking around go for it. Um, but I, I had an experience and, and I love being wrong. I, mm. I love being wrong when I'm really wrong. Um, I typically don't, I try not to speak unless I'm pretty sure what I, that I know what I'm talking about. Um, but if there's a better way to do it, I'm always open to it. Um, but I had, there's a, there's a guy that works a desk job at a place that I frequent often. I'll leave it, I'll leave it like that. Um, and when I walk by this guy, I always thought, I was like, man, this dude is super socially awkward. Like, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but almost like to a degree and he'd never hear this. So I'll just go with it to the degree where like, kind of like a creepy dude, it doesn't take mm-hmm. care of himself, greasy, Kind of looks like, uh, God, this is not the, this is not play, but he'll never hear it. He looks exactly like who you think you'd run into back in the day when you'd rent porn at a video store. Like, like that's, that's the guy, like mustache, quite, just crazy. He kind of looks yeah. like, he kind of looks like Ron Jeremy, just bigger. And, okay. uh, anyway, I just, I don't know. I just didn't really, whenever I walked by him, I thought like, how did he get this job? And so this is, this is really, really, really cool. It was cool for me. I don't recall what made me do it. I don't recall why this happened, but I'm typically pretty talkative. I'll say, hi, how's it going? And there was a couple of times where I, I would say hi and he'd just stare at me where it was weird. It was really weird. Mm. But I made more of an effort. Like, hey, what's up, man? How's your day going? Oh, wow. And like laughing with him. Like, like oh, what'd you think of this? Oh, I'd never do that. So... Fast forward like two, I think it's like two more times, me walking by this desk, me walking by this person. And I was doing something and I wasn't paying attention. And I heard a voice that I'd never heard before. And in a way that I never heard before. And it it said, hey, what's up, Derek? How you doing? Confident. And I turned and it was him. Hmm. And it was like, whether he was just, maybe he's introverted and maybe he felt like I wasn't worth his time where I'm, you know, foolishly thinking that the opposite would be true. 
but just me making a couple light touches of just asking how his day was, this dude is night and day difference. And like, he's helped me out in a few ways where I never even expected, like he's actually a cool guy. Mm. And, and that takes me to introverts um, as I feed off this. And I, I read something, this was big for me. Uh, Cause I've, I, I, I like to think I'm an extrovert, but I think I'm becoming more introverted, but it, it mm-hmm. said, um, introverts don't lack social skills. They're just not interested. They can talk, but not with everyone. They can read you like a book. They can tell you more about you than you can tell yourself, but they need to be in the right mood, the right place, the right vibe, and it needs to be with the right person. Then they will talk. And that just really, I know a couple extreme introverts and they can, if they want to, they can superficially make it happen. Mm-hmm. keep a conversation going but when they're around the people they want to be around they're like a wallflower it's just it's just minimized and i think there's so much value to that and so much time saved and you know being extroverted and saying yes to a ton of things there's there's obviously some benefits to that as well when you say no to things all the time you save yourself a lot of time but Life is about maximizing your experience. So I, you know, there, there's got to right. be a balance there. Um, but yeah, there I take off on another thing. But that was just, that was really, really eye, eye-opening for me. Um, and in the sales world, I tend to see <clears throat> introverts do better than extroverts because mm. they don't want, they yeah. don't want to waste time. Like rapport building, that's fine. Have a conversation. Yeah, I'm likable. But if there's not a real reason for us to be having this communication if you don't need my help and more importantly want my help i'm out of here because i'm not i don't i've got my dog i got my girlfriend i got whatever that's all i need uh, yeah so th- there's there's my last two things that i that i needed to incorporate but th- th- those were no, those were on my mind well and i, I think it kind of comes down to something pretty fundamental right and, and i know i like to talk about awareness and clarity a lot but you know we we all are unique, right? And so what brings out the best in you may be the exact same situation that brings out the worst of me. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about, I think where, where winners win is having a very clear understanding and a high level of awareness around what are the situations slash environments that bring out the best version of me. Mm-hmm. And then what are the types of environments and situations that kind of bring out the worst in me and worst kind of, let's just call it comparison to the, to the best. Right. And so when you can a generate that type of clarity and then start stacking the, the chips in your favor to create more of those situations, find more of those environments that elevate you to being the best version of you. Mm-hmm. That's that's where I think people on a personal level can find can find that that situational leverage for themselves because you can get the the best talent in the world, but if you keep putting that talent in situations and environments that is just the kryptonite to them performing, mm-hmm. sure they can adapt to a certain point, but they'll never truly perform to the best to their best and most full potential. Yeah. I think when you can create that situational leverage, it goes such a long way into you being able to get the results you want to get the fastest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, you, so 
I could not have addressed that better myself. So very, very well put. And that that reminds me, and we see this with work situations. We see this with, I specifically in sales situations, but um, you can take top talent and you can get them into an organization. I've seen this happen. And, um, you know, the, the salesperson came out and within three months, they were showing that they were a leader for that team. Mm-hmm. And within the first 12 months, they were one of the top salespeople in the organization. And we would hear back like, oh my gosh, Aaron's so great. You know, I'm so happy you helped with this. We just need more Aaron's. And then, you know, you, you get past that first year and you speak with them and they say, Aaron left. I don't know what happened. And it's like, yeah, he thrived because it was a new scenario, but you put him in a situation where he wasn't actually going to continue growing. And he left because your culture, because your environment, because your whatever your path of growth for him wasn't right. And now he, I mean, it could be he or she, but he using you in this example, got flustered and went a different direction. And and mm-hmm. you had the top thing you could ever have. You just didn't put him in the right environment. And so sorry like that one's on you you saw what they could do you just weren't able to you weren't able to keep the shining star you could use this like a sports analogy but you know you get a you get a player that comes onto a team has a breakout year or two and then is off to the yankees and you're like what happened i thought we could take care of him well not in the way that he needed it so 100 percent um so with that and i knew that um that knew that we'd come to time and and not make it through everything (laughs) but that that's what this is for um, what, um, is there any message you want to leave the listeners with? Um, it, it's just so that I get this out there. It's Aaron at performancemindsetcoaching.co if they want to get a hold That's of right. you. And, That's right. Yep. And then LinkedIn is where you're extremely active. Aaron Trahan, A-A-R-O-N-T-R-A-H-N, H-A-N, excuse me. There you go. Let me, let me, let me, let yeah, me say then, this again then, so I don't screw this up. T-R-A-H-A-N. And then Instagram, you're very, very, you're, you're active on everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's just trying to, uh, to cover all bases there. And yeah, I think since we spoke, uh, the first time the website's now, now lives, you'll find all the information around my approach, my mythology, kind of what separates me. Um, yeah. And I think it's, you know, it, Nothing in addition to add before we close out other than just to highlight the point that, you know, great performers never settle for the status quo, right? Mm -hmm. And I think what makes a great performer a great performer is all encompassing of what we talked about today. And it's that ability to go and take action, Mm -hmm. that ability to learn from that action and that ability to not let the fear of failure or the fear of sucking prevent that action from taking place. So yeah, just a good way to kind of drop that exclamation point on the, on the conversation. I'm going to, shit. All right. We're going to extend for a minute or two. Sorry. (laughs) We're going to extend for a minute or two. I would encourage everybody, and this is so cliche. um, I'm not saying you need to go out and go skydiving, but I would encourage everyone to do something today that makes you uncomfortable. Um, and I'm going to give an example. So there's a, a comfort challenge that I believe I got this from Tim Ferriss originally. Um, I, I want to say that's where I picked this up from. But I have a... Um, so we we assess and we evaluate people. 
with, with the firm that I work for, sales specifically. And mm. what we, what I do, this isn't something that you know, everyone has their own take on how to overcome things like this, but when we notice that someone has a high need for approval, which would be something that would get in the way of them getting on stage because they don't want to look stupid. They don't ask the next question that they should because they don't want to bother you. They don't get the information that they need to be able to help you because they don't want to offend you, whatever that is. Yep. I request, I say, okay, well, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take a cell phone, whatever, set it down on the counter, put it in your pocket. But the next time you go to get coffee, it could be frozen yogurt. I actually had someone do it at a, a frozen yogurt place, but ask them for a discount. Mm. Now, the concern behind that is they don't want to offend the person. They don't want to look stupid. Why would I ask for a discount? This, that, whatever. I have said this and done this so many times. I've now gotten back through someone that I've uh, coached and worked with and who's using some of these tactics with the team he's training. Someone in New Zealand, they were able to get a discount on their chiropractic uh, from their chiropractor. So they're, they're <clears throat> using this everywhere. But yesterday I went and saw a movie and I'm going to throw this in here as well. This is a dark, this is a dark literal term. But if you haven't seen the movie Sound of Freedom, have you seen it, Aaron? Have you no, heard about it? Fuck. Yeah, I've heard about it. Check it out. Shit's mm. crazy. Anyway, so I'm at the movie theater and I threw away my drink cup. Like it just like kind of like brain farted threw it away. And at movie theaters, at least from experience in the past, like they monitor, they make so much money on their drinks. Like Starbucks, that's nothing. They'll easily give you a discount. But a movie theater, yeah. that's where they make their money. It's off the food. Their margin. Yeah. The margins are huge. And I know that they, for... um for inventory purposes, they keep track of each cup. Like that's a big deal. And I just, I knew it. I felt so comfortable and I knew it. I'm not saying this like for the listener. I'm not saying that I went out like, oh, I'm going to take advantage of this person. I really did pay for the cup, but I knew that the person working at working behind the desk would have a higher need for approval than I did. And so I walked mm -hmm. up to this, you know, I don't know, maybe he's like 25, this dude. And I just walked up and at first, the first thing I did, so this is my quick little sales tactic part at mm -hmm. the end. But I, I, I made myself look foolish at first. I, so lowering the resistance, this is not your fault. This is me. Can you help me out? But I just, I said, hey man, I completely screwed up. I just, mm -hmm. I, I just walked out of Sound of Freedom and that movie rattled me and just out of habit when I was throwing my popcorn away, I tossed my cup. I know that uh, that's my fault. But is it possible? Would you be able to help me out? And the dude gave me the cup. Like, like so I, I was able to get this. Um, why am I talking about this? Why did I even bring this up? Why, why am I talking about the cup challenge? challenge? You're challenged for people to oh, do oh, things. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So, so what I would implore you to do today is do something that makes you feel uncomfortable. Whether that's having a conversation with a stranger, whether it's asking a question um, at your company, maybe on a company meeting, asking a question instead of asking for, if this is a good idea, propose something instead of saying, hey, I think we should try this. Do you think that's a good idea? Just start out with, you know, I propose we try this. And these little uncomfortable things, these, when we're working these little comfort muscles, what I'm talking about is not a big deal. Asking for a discount at your um, coffee shop, asking for a cup, asking for anything like that. But the more you strengthen these little discomfort muscles, the, the better you'll be, the more able you'll, you'll, 
the more willing and able you'll be to handle things that would be stressful in a typical situation. Once you've been desensitized to the, oh, so horrible concept that maybe someone says, um, no, I can't give you a discount. And that's it. That's it. It doesn't matter. So that, that is, that is my homework for everybody until the next week is today do something that makes you feel uncomfortable and I will make it my homework, whatever the skill is that I think I want to learn. Maybe it's a cooking class. Maybe I'll do a salsa class, but I'm going to hit like eight weeks of it. I'll let you know how good I am at the end of the, at the eight weeks and I'll have something picked by the next episode. So love it, Aaron, thank you for spending two hours with me. And um, I have a sneaking suspicion I'll be seeing you again very soon. I loved it. Great jam session. And uh, yeah, see you soon. Awesome. Thank you for the time. All right. See ya.